Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, Hoyt's CEO Damien Keogh admits cinema may just be the media and entertainment industry's equivalent of a cockroach. You just can't get rid of it. And that's not for a lack of solid intent from Hollywood studios who figured their direct-to-consumer streaming services might allow them to cut back and, in some cases, cut out entirely their release windows for feature films and movie theatres. But it hasn't quite gone to plan. Investors again took the knife to Paramount's shares this month after the US media conglomerate announced a $500 million-plus operating loss for the March quarter in its streaming unit. Disney's direct-to-consumer streaming revenues rose 13% to over $5 billion in December, but operating losses in that unit increased 78% to a $1 billion. The ocean of red now has Hollywood revisiting the role and financial contribution of cinemas when releasing their potential blockbusters. It's an interesting tale of content economics and consumer behaviour. It certainly seems that people still want to experience stuff beyond their personal screens. The Australian box office has recorded some of its all-time biggest figures across a number of titles since emerging from its COVID coma. So to unpack what's happening in this streaming and theatre mashup and with consumer behaviour, we've got Sony Pictures ANZ boss Stephen Basil-Jones, think the wildly successful Spider-Man franchise, among others, joining Hoyt's CEO Damien Keogh. Uh, welcome, gents. Fascinating developments. Damien, um, we might start with you. Is it true we can't kill cinema yet anyway? Uh, the punters are still showing up and the studios are having a rethink about theatrical distribution and their windowing strategies for new releases. What's going on from your perspective, Damien, and, and what does it all mean? Welcome, by the way. Thanks. Speak to you, Paul, and uh, great to have Stephen Basil-Jones on, who uh, Sony is about the, only major, superstars. about the only major studio without a streaming service. And uh, he did tell me at the time they were either the smartest person in the room or the dumbest person in the room. So looking forward <laughs> to what interpretation is there. Look, cinema's not for the faint-hearted, yes. Paul. Uh, Hoyts have been around uh, since 1908, and there's been a whole lot of iterations of cinema. I found out last week, actually, in the early 20s, Hoyts had over 45 cinemas just in Melbourne, which is fascinating. We've got 58 now across Australia and New Zealand, and it really is a pretty silly business to get into because you go into a shopping centre, you take a 15-year lease, you spend $10 million plus outfitting it, and then you rely on these studios for your content. And, of course, if they make... Uh, so I say shit content, then no one comes to the movies. Or if they decide to set up their own streaming services and don't supply us with movies, then it's hard to get people to go as well. So it's been a, a very interesting couple of years in our business with COVID. And I guess uh, the best way to describe is what we're seeing at the moment is the pendulum is definitely swinging back theatricals way. And it is a combination of the red ink you spoke about from the streaming services but it's also some incredible success back at the box office at a global level. So you've had movies uh, such as the, the, the last Spider-Man movie that Steve had. Obviously, Top Gun Maverick, uh, over a billion dollars globally. Uh, Avatar 2, once again, well over a billion dollars. Super Mario movie that's just come out uh, is, is now on its way to be the biggest animated movie 
ever in Australia in box office. So the studio execs are looking at it going, hang on a sec, maybe we need to monetize what we always had upstream first and, and, and worry downstream a little bit more later on. So let's go to that whole notion, though, Damien, because when was it that you maybe started to get a little bit nervous about what the studios were trying to do with their direct-to-consumer uh, streaming thinking and strategies? It was pre-COVID they were talking about it. That was on your radar. What happened? Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, from the studio's perspective, Netflix and their share price was 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 soaring and they were saying, hey, maybe we need one of these. And, and they had lost what uh, had once upon a time been a very lucrative DVD rental and purchase business in the old analogue era, which helped them monetise the investment of movies over a lifetime. And I guess COVID was probably the time where it allowed them to, to get away with some things that the exhibitors, when the pendulum was kind of in the middle, wouldn't let them do, and and that was experiment with day and date releases on streaming and in in theatres, and then also play around with the release windows and some other bits and pieces. And you know they've they've had a go at that, and they they seem to be coming back to the fact that hey, let's maximise the earnings of this piece of content in the cinema. It gives us the gravitas, it gives it the marketing, the prestige. Um, and also, you know, in terms of cinema, and Australia is quite incredible. I mean, a recent Australian report, still the number one cultural activity amongst Australians and the number one out-of-home entertainment activity. So uh, we've got wonderful cinemas. We've invested a lot of money in them, and it's fantastic to see the box office bouncing back. It's really interesting, right? So we've already seen some interesting uh, examples of this. Scarlett Johansson was not happy with Disney Plus because it was a streaming-only distribution for Black Widow, her, her film, that didn't work so well. Streaming numbers weren't so great. I actually think it was a, it was a simultaneous release. So it was released in cinema, but it was released on Disney Plus um, around the same time. So that right. impacted the theatrical earnings and her contract, I would assume, was that she would have had um, some success fees associated to the box office performance. But the principle also for a lot of those movie stars when they make a big Hollywood movie is they do want it to be seen on the big screen. There's no doubt about that. And that's the same with directors, right, um, Damien, in that you, we've got a couple, Chris Nolan uh, with Oppenheimer. There was a kind of condition in his contract. Talk us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, he moved from Warner's where he's been very successful uh, making movies for them, one of the probably uh, the highest credential directors in the world, and he's moved to Universal and Really looking forward to Oppenheimer, which will be out um, in a couple of months and um, featuring an incredible ensemble cast. And he's secured a 120-day release window with Universal Studios for that movie, which uh, is even longer Four than cinemas. the traditional 90-day window. But what we are seeing from studios, and I think Avatar and Top Gun Maverick are great examples of this, is uh, they extend the windows while they're still making money on the theatrical release. And I... There were many on the cinema side of the business who were very rigid and inflexible on on release windows, and you know definitely I have a, a different view on that. I I think we need studios to find ways to make money out of making movies, and if movies aren't performing at the box office and they can monetize them in home entertainment, then the less successful ones having a quicker release is is, is probably the right thing to do for the movie. So I just want a quick recap um, before we get to Stephen because he's got a pretty interesting perspective on all this, is at the Australian box office, you've, there are at least three or four titles, I think, that have broken records. So since coming out of COVID, 
it's really healthy at the moment, cinema and, and people showing up to watch it. What are some of those numbers, DK? Yeah, well, three of the top five all time now are post-COVID. Um, Spider-Man, Avatar has just, I think, gone past Top Gun uh, into third place at about 90, just over 93 million. A top Gun did around 92, 93 million. Incredible figures. And uh, as I alluded to before, Super Mario movie now is uh, over 50 million as well for an animated release. Even at the moment, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy has just gone through 25 million. John Wick around 25 million. These are big numbers. These are big numbers pre-COVID, post-COVID. So there is no doubt in in my mind and, and, and most of the cinema operators and I think the studios that if the content is there that that people certainly want to get out and experience it in a cinema situation with great big screens, great sound and in a social environment. So Stephen Basil Jones, that's Damien Keogh's worldview. Um, what's yours from a studio perspective, the, the way you develop, earn and extract a film's lifetime value, i.e. profits has been a bit challenged, but Sony as Damien alluded to, you might be a little bit different to the rest of the pack. And welcome, Stephen. Yeah, we are, uh, Paul. Great to be here and and good to see you, Damien. You know, we're the only studio that doesn't have a streaming platform. And and look, complimentarily or rudely, some people have described us as the arms dealer in town in Hollywood, but (laughs) content dealer indeed. I mean, we will sell to anyone. And uh, that makes it a, a wonderful, if you like, marketplace for us at the moment when content was in such strong demand. It's cooled a little bit now, but it, it really was peaking over the last few years. Why, why and, wasn't Sony enamoured with a streaming platform like everyone else, though, Stephen? Like, what was the strategy there? Well, I think first up, we've got a, uh, a chairman of the studio, Tony Vinciquera Hall, who spent a long time with Murdoch. 10 years in Fox Networks, uh, his background is TV. I think he knew the costs of entry uh, into that place and they are exorbitant. They are extremely, extremely high and and you'll see in the next few years the shakedowns. Uh, there will be mergers and acquisitions. There's just no other way about it as people can't afford five, six subscriptions. But it was definitely a, a planned business strategy to, if you like, Go a some would say now the traditional model, and and Damien uh, highlighted which is to exploit the theatrical window first, and then realised increased revenues downstream. And we've always felt that that if you can establish and build marquee value IP up front, there's going to be much larger revenues again. You, you say the cinema builds the sort of the, the awareness and, and the title, is that what you mean? Yeah, I do, and and I think that's it. And, and Damien mentioned that there's something that says that this film was a success, had a theatrical release before it gets to the streaming platform that makes it more valuable. And in most cases, it really is most cases, streaming platforms don't make movie stars, if you know what I mean. Movie stars are made by being at the movies. And, you know, there's still some great movie stars around. Uh, they're coming back, uh, and that's the place where they're built. So you talked about, uh, you know, downstream revenues from cinema. That's changing a lot, though, right? It used to be that you'd make, studios would make plenty on the DVD sales and so forth. There's yep. obviously none of that now. So what yep. does a downstream revenue uh, line look like now for a studio? 
And also, before we get that, I just want to get to your window strategy. You, you have cut Damien and his friends back from 120 days to 90. Is, is, that, is that right? Yeah, look, it's come down from 120 to 90 to really around 45 is the, is the sweet spot now. That's, if you like, more than six weeks that a film would play out in a cinema. Uh, if you think about that, the business that I think it's something like over 90% of films, Paul, will have done their business in the first four weeks, if you like. So it's a very rare film that plays beyond that. And they are sometimes the exceptions. And then when there are the exceptions, the window will be extended. They will be longer periods and things. But the sweet spot... Can I just ask there, just on that one, sorry, Stephen, can I ask, Damien, are you okay with 45 days and 90 days, Stephen? uh, Damien, are you still happy with Stephen with that, friends? Yeah, look, we've... um, To what Stephen said... uh, we, we sell 95% of our tickets in, in, in probably the first four or five weeks. So it's it's an amicable settlement on, on both sides and it's it seems to be working pretty well at the moment. So the, the downstream revenue lines, what does that and, look like today versus what yeah. it used to be? And, and, Paul, I'll just jump in and just say we don't want windows too much earlier than that too. I mean, it's not good for my business and it's not good for Damien's. We don't want people thinking that they can see it you know, and they can switch on the next day and catch it on on their TV at home. You know, there's a real value of seeing it quality and appreciation at a cinema and particularly with the the cinemas that Damien's, you know, rebuilt and refurbished. I mean, they are the best in the world and things. So we actually want a reasonable amount of time for them to be in cinemas and to have their time and have their livelihood there before they go and be seen at home. But, yeah, the next thing, it has changed, Paul, you're right. I mean, the physical distribution from home entertainment is now, you know, is really disappearing. It's taken a long time to disappear, a lot longer than some people thought. It disappeared in the Northern Hemisphere a long time ago. So the DVDs, the physical side of things, you won't see too many of those in retail stores anymore. And what do the they rent- used to represent in terms of the sort of the revenue mix? Was it 10%, 15% of, of a total? Or? Yeah, quite a bit more, Paul. I, and I, oh, I, I, really? I wouldn't give you anything, so, but quite a bit more. Um, it, oh. it really was when if theatrical was trying to just break even and cover their costs of production and, and prints and advertising at that stage, and, and that was the aim is if we could get – honestly, the goal was at the theatrical was to try and recoup, recoup as much as you can. Costs, right. Um, and then – hopefully see, you know, the next set of revenue, which was really in the old days, the home entertainment, VHS and then DVD, start mm. to really bring back the money and deliver some profits. And then it was in the old, really old days, just the free-to-air uh, money that was right. there. And then now Showing it's movies on a Sunday night. Yeah, exactly, the Sunday night 8.30 movie. But, you know, that's changed and there is still a home entertainment market but it's electronically sold through now uh, and you can order it through Apple, you know, and you can order it through Google. You're, you can either buy it or rent it and that really is the time. Usually after 45 days you can do that and things and that's the first so streaming the re- Is streaming swapping out the home entertainment physical stuff? Is it, is it a like-for-like swap out? No, look, it's changed because of the development of the streaming platforms, you know, be it Stan, Binge, you know, Amazon Prime, uh, you know, they have changed those dynamics and things. And and by the way, we're still learning about what value is at what stage, um, what genres are going to command perhaps a premium price at an earlier time or a later time. And things. So honestly, Paul, there's so much learning going on right now 
uh, mm. and things. And, you know, I think the great thing, though, that we got out of the film industry convention in Vegas uh, a few weeks ago was that the other studios who had really experimented during the COVID times and really, I think, done the cinema industry a real disservice of going so quickly and dismissing the the cinema side of business, they've turned around and gone, we're back, baby, we're believers, Mm. and we need this front window for us. There's such an important role for you guys to play, and they are back. Now, we, we haven't wavered. But the other guys have come on back with us now, and I, I think it's a really important time and an and adjustment and things. And, look, the streamers are fantastic. They've provided some really great content. They've been able to support great filmmakers like Scorsese to make movies, you know, and even, you know, we got Napoleon too uh, that, that's coming up too, that, you know, and uh, Sir, Sir Ridley Scott's film. I mean, they've been able to provide finance for great filmmakers to make movies which are going to come to cinemas and, and Damien cinemas. So just right now, do you have, either of you have a sense then uh, in terms of what the sort of the range is going to, it was looking like between cinema audience numbers and, and ticket sales and streaming numbers and the sales from that. The ratio is, do you have a sense on that, what that mix looks like at the moment? I don't, Paul. I, I mean, I honestly say we are in new waters and uncharted waters and we're we're still there's so much flux going on with the streamers right now too and Mm. things and and how they're releasing uh, and what they're releasing and and you know as you said right up front they're really you know got their own challenges right now and they're trying to work out what the sweet spot is and where they need to be so yeah it's a really it's a really interesting thing but we just know that they're incredibly important they are providing some fantastic content. And, you know, Paul, everyone has competition. You don't like it sometimes, but you raise your game. And for us, we got to raise our game. For the theatrical studios, we got to say, hey, we got to put something out there, even if it's an adult drama, a slow-moving foreign language, whatever, we got to make sure it's theatrically worthy, that, you know, people want to either get out of their homes and laugh together, cry, be scared about but they want to come out and see something in a shared environment that's better than sitting on their their couch at home. Damien, do you have a, any hunch on what cinema is, how the split in viewing for a blockbuster or a feature film between cinema and streaming, do you sort of get a sense, have a sense at all on what that, that split is in the mix? Look, I think the, the great news on that, again, is the pendulum swinging back cinema's way. And a great example of that was uh, a movie which Amazon Prime had recently called Air, starring Ben Affleck and Matt Damon on the signing of Michael Jordan to Nike. And executives saw that and they decided to give it a theatrical release, albeit a shorter theatrical release. It didn't have a, a vast amount of promotion. It did about $9 million at the box office here in Australia, which is a great result for us. It was a high-quality movie. So Amazon and Apple have now come out and said, hey, you know, if we're doing movies, we're going to do a theatrical release with them. I think Mm -hmm. what we're going to start to see is the episodic type of dramas and and the series and whatnot is is where the streamers are going to really invest in their direct-to-streaming content. I think for the movies, they've kind of worked out, hey, you know, just an average run-of-the-mill movie without a lot of care to it. It's like the old TV movie used to be, and that's what Stephen said about quality. So they're almost saying, hey, it's not worth doing that. Let's do either an episodic thing or 
let's invest more and let's get a real real good movie that we can release in cinema. It can get the prestige. It can get the marketing support and, and move on. And I look, just while we're here, I'd like to congratulate um, Steve and Sony. I don't know whether you've seen, Paul, but the release of the John Farnham documentary, uh, which was released a couple of weeks ago, it's already broken records for a musical documentary in Australia. It's on its way to two million plus box office, which on the surface may not seem a whole lot, but uh, believe me, running cinemas, that kind of box office and the audience that's attracted has been fantastic. And that's been largely funded by um, Steve and Sony locally here. Yeah, thanks, Dana. Yeah, and, and probably an unusual one in terms of a, a documentary to go into cinema from Sony. I, look, I'm assuming, Stephen, it would have, was that a big call for Sony to do that or to even decide to sort of commission it? Yeah, look, it's, uh, yeah, it was a local call here and um, John was in the, the family, but documentaries don't represent commercially, uh, you know, Marvel film-like uh, returns, but um, they're important and, you know, it was one of those things that we felt belonged you know, with his music and some of the the story that needed to be told, we wanted to put it up on the big screen. And Glenn Wheatley, who, who really had the original idea for it and stuff, wanted it to be a big theatrical product and things. And and we shared that belief with him. And you know, it's it's been terrific and it's been a great result. And it's going to do really well. It'll go to to Channel Seven uh, afterwards and things. And you know what? It's going to be fantastic. And and. It'll spin off and it, it's got real cachet now and it'll be a real attraction to Channel 7. Yeah, as I imagine that. So 7, that, so it won't go to a streaming platform at some point? Yeah, it will eventually. Yep, long mm. Yes, it will. Yep. Okay. Damien, Stephen brought up a, a really interesting uh, point earlier on about consumer behaviour and I'm just interested in, in what we're seeing now, sort of this boom at the box office. Yes, the product's uh, hot and good, but is there still a little bit of pent-up post-COVID hangover going on and the enthusiasm for people to get out and get beyond the personal screen to watch something. Is there is there anything in that or do you think this, we're back to a, a sort of a let's experience life beyond our personal screen? Yeah, look, I think generally we're seeing uh, you know, cinema, we're seeing live sport, we're seeing live music. People want to go out and be entertained and they're going out and getting entertained. So I feel very good about that moving forward. I think the forward slate now for the next three months is very strong. Um, we'd like a little bit more in the back end of the year. But the way it's shaping up in uh, this year, we're probably going to be around 85 to hopefully close to 90% of pre-COVID. So the studios are putting out more movies, so the outlook looks promising in terms of that. I'm not sure whether the writer's strike is going to slow that production train down a little bit, but right. I'm, I'm of the understanding with the major studios that they've got a couple of years of good content with them, so hopefully that's right. So, look, the history of cinema, again, has always been this. There's been ups and downs depending on content uh, in the short term but also on consumer behaviour and um you know, the, the multiplexes that came into the shopping centres and, and Stephen said we've at Hoyt's we've put $300 million into upgrading our cinemas and trying to provide better customer experiences. So that's the part that we control and, and that we focus mm. on. So, Stephen, um, do you have any thoughts on, on consumer behaviour before we move into the final predictions of what to two movie buffs are um, thinking about for the next 12 months. With consumer behaviour, any thoughts on that? Yeah, look, I do. I think, look, there's been a great response to the big blockbusters, Paul, and, and they've really come out. I think what 
we're just starting to see now and we'll test that is that firstly, there's been a lack of female and rom-coms and comedies in the marketplace. And, and that's a content, you know, if you like drought. So we're going to have a few more of those. We've got a great Jennifer Lawrence, you know, sexy comedy coming out soon. And that's going to be important. It's going to be important for a date movie and, and girls and women. And that's, you know, that's, and we haven't seen a lot of those. So that's important. No, you're right. I think also too, family markets, again, is responding now, which is great. We've got Spider-Verse coming out. That's going to be good because we saw Disney and other people put those sort of films straight to their platforms very quickly. Now, guess what? They're not doing that. They're coming to the theatres first. So we're going to rebuild that family audience. And then two, the older audience is very important with regards to, you know, they're the ones that took a little bit of time. They are laggards with regards to new things that arrive in the market and they've discovered some great content on their TVs during COVID, whether their kids came over to show them or whatever, but they've discovered them and suddenly they're coming back. Like that John Farnham, I mean, his first hit was in 66. You know, his old audience are kind of older now. I mean, it's multi-generational, but we saw on Tuesday, which is our discount Tuesday price day, and it's usually a great indication of how many pensioners are coming out. It was huge. It was massive. Quite a few of Damien Cinemas outgraced Fast X, the Fast and Furious film. Farnham was the number right. one film in, the, in those cinemas. So we saw the oldies coming back again and the rest of it too. So the answer is yes, they are coming back. We've got a few audience segments to still rebuild, but it has to be content driven. We have to have the good content and the right content for them. To wrap this up, um, just some final thoughts. And I think one of you alluded to the fact that we are seeing the uh, streamers go into more episodes, more series and less one-off big box offices. That's probably a one big one-off feature films. That's probably um, a telltale sign of what um, is going to happen in terms of cinema's importance. But um, overall, just, a, I guess, a finger in the air um, on what you think, this, how these streaming and cinema clash will end up in maybe 12 months, two years' time. What does that look like? And I'll, I'll start with you first, Stephen. Yeah, look, I think there'll be a a sense of normality about the patterns, you know, with regards to the timings of when the content appears. And I think the the streamers will recognise the value of the different types of film, be it episodic, be it feature films, and how to deliver that. And so I think there's just going to be a little bit more consistency with regards to how the big streamers go about their business. Me. Ultimately, less number of streaming platform options because not everyone, it's a crowded market. Not everyone can survive. I think. I, I, I think that's ultimately has to be the case. And mm. certainly for Australia, we're not big enough, you know, to have all those yeah. all those players in the in the marketplace. There is there's a terrific place for them. They're great partners and clients of ours and things, and they're really it's great. Hey, listen, we all enjoy great content on the streaming platforms. But as I said, it's the market's. Big enough, we've just been going through a period of really trying to work out how to coexist uh, and we're working that out and I think we're working it out pretty well now. Uh, Damien, uh, your final thoughts on on the streaming uh, cinema clash and consolidation, I guess you're probably seeing that too come uh, on the platforms. Can we? Everyone's still trying to pile in though. There's still plenty of studios and, and media companies trying to build them. Yeah, look, I think um, if you take a look at the big picture of, of this whole thing, the the amount of production that's going on globally and the quality of that production generally, there's never been more money invested in audiovisual production of both um, 
movies to be released at the cinema and streaming content. So you have to think that our writers are going to get better, our directors are going to get better, and there's going to be better content into the future. That's what I'm hoping for. And I think if that happens, then cinema's space at the the top of that totem pole that they've had for a long time. I mean, pre-COVID, it was a 43 billion US business. That's a big business. You know, we're going to nudge probably the mid-30s uh, globally this year, the, there continues to be expansion of cinemas in China up until COVID, Middle East and other parts of the world, South America, a lot of investment in it. So I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. And uh, I think this is a moment in time, but it has been a fascinating couple of years to see it unwind. I look forward to maybe a catch-up on this in a year's time to see whether uh, both of you are <laughs> um, geniuses and predicted it perfectly because um, it, it is a fascinating smash-up. Damien Keogh, Stephen Basil-Jones, great conversation. Thanks for joining. Thanks, Paul. Been great. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 audio edition to listen for free. Listener.